God's good, right? I'm going to have you turn this morning to Mark chapter 9, the Gospel of Mark chapter 9. pray. God, we thank you for so much we've already done this morning. We think of the blood and your forgiveness for our lives. And Lord, I just pray that that message would just radiate through these young people, through the teens. Lord, because they, we know they are the future of this church. So we just pray this morning that we would hear from you, Jesus. Thank you for who you are and what you've done in our lives, the power that you have. Just go before us this morning and just encourage us and challenge us. In your name we pray, amen. I titled this message, Mountaintop Glory for Valley Living. Mountaintop Glory for Valley Living. And um, you know, when you're, when you're on the mountaintop, Everything's going good. Relationships are good. Situations are good. Circumstances are good. And you, and you just want it to stay that way, right? But we know that our lives aren't lived on that mountaintop. And let me, let me just clarify for you that I believe in mountaintop experiences. I believe in visions and things that God can give you. I, I believe in um, those, those instances where um, there's special times with God. And yet, when I talk about valley living, I guess I could just say it's everyday living. Taking the mountaintop and bringing it into everyday living. It's funny because you, if you've been around church for a while or around Christians, um, I know that I've heard things where people um, have had visions and situations that were real. But what happens is they stay in that place and it's not put into practical use. It's not put into everyday living. And what happens is they begin chasing that feeling that they had one time 10 years ago when they woke up in the middle of the night and God showed them something, and they want that again and again and again. And that's not how God usually works. Um, and we'll see this morning that usually those situations that we have with the word, with, with those visions or those things that God speaks to us in those places, are usually confirmed by his word. If those things aren't confirmed by his word, then probably we just woke up with indigestion. <laughs> and we had these thoughts in our minds. And I've, I've had those, I'm sure you have. But then there's been times where God has spoke clearly and we knew it was him. But he does those things for a reason. He does those things. And the mountaintop doesn't mean, you know, you're going to find a mountain. You may find a mountain and go up there. But those mountaintop experiences are when you're alone with God. 
when you're in that place by yourself and God is speaking to you, that's why it's so vital that, I'm sick of this morning, that you find that time to be alone with God. He may have to, you may have to rearrange your whole schedule. Well, you know, I, I do this in the morning, and this happens at work, and then this happens at night. I don't really have time. You may have to flip your whole life just to find that time to be with him. I remember growing, you know, being married and having young children. It was like, and I was always a morning person anyway. I never was a night person. Um, but I remember you had to get up real early to beat the kids to get that quiet time with God, which means you had to go to bed earlier. And so you have to change the way you live your life if you want to spend time with God. We just can't use the excuse, well, I don't have any time. We all have the same 24 hours, every one of us. And we all have the same 24 hours to how we want to live and how we want to live for God. And so we, it's important that we, those mountaintop experiences are things that, that we want to pursue. Because I know there's times in my life where, wow, I really heard from the Lord and it's like, I, I, what are you saying to me? What do you want? And you'll hear it, but now I'm not just going to stay there. I've got to, how do you want me to play this out? How do you want to work through me to play this out, which you've showed me? So um, what we know, as I said, life is not lived on the mountaintop. On the mountaintop, life is primarily lived in the valley. And the Bible teaches us how to take the mountaintop and bring it into the valley. And this, what I'm going to share this morning and what we see in, this, in the scriptures here is that um, the mountaintop experience needs to be brought into the valley, into everyday living. Otherwise, people are not touched with the gospel. You just have a great experience with God, and God has done so much in my life, and there's nothing wrong with that because he has to work in you first. But what are you doing with it? How, how is that playing out in your life for other people? Because we're not here for ourselves. We're here to do his will and what he wants us to do. And so we have to be available to him. And as we'll see this morning, it costs. It costs to follow Jesus. But is the cost worth it? It is definitely worth it in the long run. And if you could look into eternity and you could look at the heaven and see how all that plays out, um, because once you get to heaven and you're a believer, you can't go back and relive your life again. I wish I could have, I wish I should have, and have these regrets. Because you have one shot in this life as a believer, and what will I do with that? And every one of us is different. Everyone is gifted different. Every, God has a different plan for everyone here. But I just want to hear those words when it's all said and done, well done, good and faithful servant. I wasn't perfect, struggled like everybody else, but I picked myself up and kept moving forward and wanted to live for God. That's all, that's all I want. And how the, all that plays out in my life. Because without him, I know I'm nothing. And without him, you're nothing. And so when we come to that place, that's when we begin to realize these things. So living in the valley... Is going to take those mountaintop experiences. So Mark chapter 9, we're going to read the first 10 verses. And, he's, and this is Jesus. He said unto them, Verily I say unto you that there are some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. 
And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, and he led them up into a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothing became shining, exceeding white. Verse 4, And there appeared unto them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let me make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he didn't know what he was saying, for they were, for they were afraid. Verse 7, there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. And suddenly when they had looked around, they saw no man anymore save for Jesus only with themselves. And as they came down from the mountains, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man was risen from the dead. And they kept that saying with themselves, questioning one with another what the rising from the dead should mean. So here is Jesus taking the inner circle up to the mountain, preparing them for valley living. There was a purpose he was doing this. He was doing this to strengthen them and encourage them for what was going to come. What was coming. Six days earlier, he had told them that he was going to die. And what happened? Peter rebuked him. Peter stood up to him and said, no, this can't be. This is not going to happen. So they resisted what Jesus was talking about. So I'm sure in Jesus' mind, he had to say, okay, I'm going to have to show them something and take them up to this mountain and let them see something that I'm sure, as far as their earthly life went, um, it was burned in their minds that they would never forget what they were about to see. And, and just think about that. And yet down the road, Peter still denied him after that. It just shows you the frailty of human flesh, of, our, of ourselves. One minute we're high, the next minute we're down. But God understands that, and that's why, that's why there's grace for us, right? But there's grace. As we'll see today, John 1, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. And we're going to see this morning that it's all about him. It's all about Jesus. We're going to see that the, what we see in the Old Testament is, is the scriptures. But if you read in Hebrews 8, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant is over with. We are in the New Testament. We are, we are where it's all about Jesus Christ. That, that, that's a change. That was a big change for me because I had a very regimented, legalistic, religious mind and how I was brought up and very tough on myself as far as, you know, sinning and confessing and feeling guilty. And, it's, and it was part me and I'm sure part of the system that I was brought up in. But man, that, that takes a while to break loose, to understand God's grace. Something for nothing? I, don't even, I, didn't even, I couldn't comprehend that. I always felt you had to earn it. You had to do something to get it. So it's contrary to human nature, this grace of God. And that's why he's always saying in 1 Peter, grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. You have to keep growing in grace. Giving grace to yourself. Allowing God's grace to minister to you. To see that you're forgiven. Easier said than done. 
I can say it over, but it's going to take the word of God coming into my mind and changing my way of thinking. And it's got the power to do that. So he takes Peter and John to the solitary place, the inner circle, a place to pray. Six days earlier, like I said, he told them he was going to die. They were stunned. Peter objected. Jesus brought them along in order, as I said, to prepare them and to encourage them. Because they weren't going to be ready for what's coming. But Jesus had a plan. I'm sh and I'm sure what they're going to see is going to blow their minds, what they were about to see. And then you see the reaction. You wonder, where were their minds at? So the first, the first point here is a vision of the glorified Christ. Verses 2 and 3. Six days later, Peter and John, James and John, he led them up to the mountain apart by themselves and was transfigured. And his clothing became so white. They were in prayer. And if you look in Luke, they dozed off and were sleeping. You wonder, how, how could they do that? We would do the same thing, probably. What's wrong with them? They walked with him for three years and they were falling asleep again. It seems like they were always dozing off. Well, but then when you actually think of it, Jesus probably had them on such a schedule and kept moving so fast. Him being the God-man and them just being men. We'll give him a little grace there. So Jesus was transfigured. What, basically what he did is that he unveiled his divinity, his humanity. It's like he lifted the veil and they saw who he was for that moment in time. And so I have a verse here, John 17, 5. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourselves with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus always was, and always, he was eternal. He always existed. He came to earth as the man, as the God-man. And so at this particular point, as they're on the Mount of Transfiguration, Mount Hermon, he reveals his power of who he was, his divinity. His humanity was lifted, and they could see he was the Christ. He was the, he was the Son of God at that moment. And so that was the first, it's like three things that happened there. So they saw that. And then the second thing is that, verse 4, and there appeared unto them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Probably the two greatest figures in the Bible right there, Elijah and Moses, and Jesus is having a conversation with them, and they're, they're watching that. I mean, just think of that. We read these things sometimes. Oh, yeah, I know that. Elijah and Moses come back. There's Jesus. There's the apostles watching this conversation. They were probably talking to Jesus about the plan and what was going to take place. And they were there watching this. And so that was step two of, okay, you know, this mountaintop experience. We've just seen Elijah and Moses. I mean, 
Now you know why they were gonna, Jesus was building them as the foundation of the church. Because they were going to see some things. Like I said, once the Holy Spirit came and they were filled with the Spirit, there was going to be no stopping them. Right now the Holy Spirit was on them, but not in them. Just like now, you have the Holy Spirit. If you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit in you. This is the power we heard last week, Pastor Jeff, the power of the resurrection, the power of the living Christ is in you. There's no limit to this power. And so, as one person said, Moses represented the law, and Elijah represented the prophets, and Jesus was the fulfillment of both of those. It was emboldened in him, embodied in him. So in other words, prophets, the law, and Jesus, it just shows you he is above all of that. It's, it's all about him. It's not about anybody else. When you think of Moses and you think of Elijah, they were still sinful men. This is Jesus Christ who was sinless, the Son of God. And so everything now began to change. All of a sudden, he's lifted up. And probably they were talking about, and so they were stunned by what happened. And so you go on here, and uh, what does Peter do? Okay, let's, let's make three tabernacles for them. Let's, let's build them something so they'll be comfortable. I mean, typical Peter, right? He's trying, but yet, you know, hu- human understanding versus divine wisdom. That's the difference. Yeah, Peter, like, they really need a tabernacle to stay in some, to stay here on the mountain with. They're not going to be staying you know, his mind, he's trying, but that just shows you what human wisdom does. It limits you. You need God's wisdom in situations. And so there's Peter. Then in verse 7, the second point I want to make here, the appearing of the sovereign creator. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. You can, you can take that, that line one or two ways. This is my beloved son, hear him. Or this is my beloved son, hear him now. Hear him. I ask myself, am I hearing him? Am I hearing him? You don't need to hear anybody else. You need to hear from him. So here they are on the mountain. The cloud comes down, and out of the cloud comes the voice of God. This is my beloved son. Hear him. Peter, James, and John, they see this now. And I was reading one place where, um, well, when you look at it, it basically the cloud is the, the Shekinah glory of God. That's, this is not just an ordinary cloud that came down. This is the cloud of God. This is the same cloud in the wilderness that... Um, led them during the day in the pillar of fire at night. This is the Shekinah glory. And they said, one person said it was 600 years before the Shekinah glory. It's been 600 years since that appeared like that. Since the cloud came down like that. Imagine waiting, having seen the presence of God as some of those people did in the past. And for 600 years, not a sign of that. And then all of a sudden, 
here is the cloud. Which just made me think, now this is my opinion, okay? But if you go to 1 Thessalonians 4, 17 and 18, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with him with these words. I don't know, I just look at it and say, again, the clouds, is that the same glory? Because of the rapture, we're going to be caught up in this cloud? I don't know. It just trickled the thought in my mind. So the voice came out of the cloud, and basically God is saying, enough, my son is here now. He's trying to impress that into the, into the disciples. Kind of like, okay, be quiet. He's here. Which made me start thinking like, I know for my life, I'm sure for your life, it's like we do a whole lot of more talking than we do listening. And you've heard people say that's why, you know, God gave us two ears and one mouth. We should be listening twice as much as we're talking. And yet... Where even when we pray, I find myself, you know, I'm not a person who prays with a list. I have things in my mind. But sometimes, sometimes if you use a list, you're doing a lot of talking. But is there a time where you're actually listening? Listening to what he's saying to you. He, it's a two-way conversation. You're talking to him, but he wants to talk to you. And that takes time. And that just takes time to quiet down your spirit to hear what the Lord is trying to tell you what the Holy Spirit is trying to say. It takes us to quiet down. Can that happen when I'm driving my car? Yeah, God can do anything. God can speak to me anywhere. All I'm saying is that those are the exceptional times, I think, when you're alone, though. It's funny that Jesus, when he, you read through the scriptures, a lot of times he just went alone by himself. He was God the Son, and he had to be alone. But we think, Oh, I can do this on the fly. And just, you know, you read some of those books. I read those books and see some of these people. How in the world did they spend like four or five hours a day in prayer? And there's people who did that. Missionaries, different people. Because they weren't doing a whole lot of talking a lot of times. They are doing a whole lot of listening and just being quiet. And that's why it says in Psalms, be still and know that I'm God. We're living at a frantic pace. We're living so fast. The information's so fast. We're, we're on to the next thing. Our lifestyle is like flying. And it's contrary to walking with God in a lot of ways. So the voice comes out of the cloud. And all of a sudden, in verse 8, and suddenly when they looked around, they saw no man there anymore save Jesus only with themselves. So Moses and Elijah are gone. God has spoken. Basically, the vision is all about Christ now. They're gone. Moses and Elijah are gone, and, and now it's just Jesus. Jesus only. That's all it has to be for our lives. Jesus only. What he's saying is the Son is the most significant. Jesus, the Son of God, is the most significant person. And that's who you should be worshiping. 
it's Jesus only. The father was saying, all this is gone. It's all about my son now. <laughs> I can find myself sometimes, you know, I want to make it clear. I'll read the whole, you know, I'll read all sections of the Bible, but I have to realize that the scriptures and in the Old Testament, a lot of it was the children of Israel. We can apply those things to our lives, but Jesus came to fulfill the law and to end the law. And we're, we're living under his grace right now. Basically what the law does, it shows you that you need to be perfect to satisfy God. And what the New Testament shows you is that he was perfect. He satisfied God. He's in you. And so you, perf you perfectly satisfy God in, in what's inside of you. It's him. That's the righteousness that he's imputed to you. He's given you that. So you wonder, how can God look at me and his, my sins and iniquities he sees no more? He doesn't see sin in me anymore? That's because he sees his son in you. He sees, he doesn't see your sin anymore. He sees his son in you. Well, how can God forget? He chooses to forget it because of his son. He he butchered his son. He crucified his son. He put all the sin and punishment on his son so that we can be free and clean. Amen? Amen. That's the good news of the gospel. You can't work to become more righteous. Your righteousness is Christ's righteousness, and that's who's inside of you. What happens is we have Christ in us, but then we step out and start working on our, working ourselves to please God. It's like, you can never please God without Jesus. You can live a life that's power, empowered by the Holy Spirit so that you can live according to the word and do what Jesus tells you. But that's, that's, that's the extent of it. You can't, you're not going to satisfy God. You're, you're a sinner. His son paid for your sins. Thank you. I start there, so I, my works aren't to earn heaven. My works are to, because he's inside of me, and I'm saved, and I work out my salvation with fear and trembling. It's him. It's him working through me. You can hear God's grace is, I, I, I'm just amazed when the last couple of years, his spirit and the revelation, I, I thought I had an understanding of grace, but he's just taking me to a different place where I really understand it deeper. Maybe things just had to come off of me, whatever the past was. But the, the, more, the more you understand his grace, the more you fall in love with him. And if you're in love with him, you have no problem serving him because you appreciate what he's done for you. Amen? It's, it's different than the opposite way. So Jesus is now supreme. All allegiance is due to Christ. Second Peter 1, 16 and 18. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And we, we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. This is Peter talking. This isn't some fable. This isn't some story. This is truth. We saw his glory. 
And in the scriptures, God is saying, hear him. Listen to him. One person said, don't get focused on the vision, but the unchanging word of God. We're going to see why, you know, this applies. The unchanging word of God. Memories of vision will fade away. Vision was not an end to itself. It was God's way of confirming the word. Visions are always God's way of confirming the word. All others before Jesus were forerunners. It's him. It's all about him now. You don't follow anybody else but him. So you see here the message of the transfiguration. The, the transfiguration couldn't save anybody. It couldn't save anybody. And that's why he told them, as we'll see the, this next um, verse here. And when they came down from the mountain, verse 9, he charged them, don't tell anyone this until you see the Son of Man risen from the dead. Why was he talking to them? Because their minds were still in the valley. They were still thinking of, thinking the, the wrong way, not seeing the vision that they had, that the purpose of the vision that they had seen. And he says, you're going to have to understand that, but that's not going to be the message. The message is going to be the cross, which he told them six days earlier, and they couldn't grab it, and Peter rebuked them for it. Following him now, Hebrews, Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in the time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. He has spoken in these last days by his Son. We're listening to what the Son has to say. So it's important to read the Gospels to get the words of Jesus in you. What's he saying? What is he talking about? What's he mean? And then we see Paul's epistles confirming those things. Isn't it interesting that every cult and everything that comes along is always taking you away from Jesus and who he really is? Amen? That's how they bring in the confusion. When you talk to people like Jehovah Witnesses or Mormons and they say that, you know, Jesus, God made Jesus, I just say to them, show me in the Bible where God, create, where God created Jesus. That's all you got to say. Show me the verse where it says God made Jesus. God created him. There is no verse. It stops them right in their tracks because they're thinking that, yeah, he's, Jesus is something, but God made him. God is everything. We're not saying God isn't glorious. We're just saying Jesus always was. He was eternal. That's what we're talking about. So he's telling them, follow him now. As we said, spend time alone with him. 2 Corinthians 3.18 But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are 
being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. The glory of the Lord. As we continually look at Jesus, we're going to be transformed more and more like him. That's his goal for our lives, that we become more and more like Jesus. There's, there's no other way that this can happen unless the Spirit of God, as we saw here, that vision was to empower them for daily living, for the valley living. And, it's, and it's, what happened was, after, in the book of Acts, after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came in. Now they had the power to live in the valley. Now they had the power to live the way God intended them to live to bring this gospel. So, again, their minds were still in the valley. The last point here is an understanding of the cross. Verse 9 and 10. And they came down from the mountain. He charged them, don't tell anyone this till the Son of Man be risen. Do not tell anyone after what we just saw. He's telling them because they're going to get it, they're going to mess it up. It was he told them to wait until the resurrection. Because it, it the transfiguration wasn't going to change anybody. They could come down and say, This is what we saw up there. What was that going to do? Is that going to change people? No, it was going to be the, his resurrection was going to change people. But they had to see that to be encouraged that how big the picture was of what was going to happen and what, how God was going to work through their lives. Not the right time. Imagine, you see all that? Oh, we want to go around and tell people, no, it's not the right time. Don't say anything. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Everything, the power is in the cross. The power is denying ourselves, and the Spirit has a way of doing that, and we're able to, to live the life of the cross. It's the cross that changes people's lives, not the transfiguration. Amen? And that's what Easter's all about. There's the power in the resurrection. And then in John 8.31, then said Jesus to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You want to follow him? You're going to have to abide in his word. His word, what does it say in John? In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was God. He is the word. It's him. Jesus Christ is the word of God. When we're in the word, we're in him. When we're following the word, we're following him. When we're thinking with the word, we're thinking with him. You're wondering, what does God want? Well, if you've got the word inside your head, you're going you're to ask God to help you to see and discern. You're going to know what he wants you to do. We're going to be able to listen. Problem is, when God said, hear him, we have a hard time of hearing him or wanting to hear him. 
Because what he, what he may say, I may not want to do. That's OK, because fear and those types of things doesn't stop God from working in you. His spirit overcomes all that. Well, I, can't, I don't think I want to do that or do that because I'm kind, I, I feel kind of fearful. Well, that's just normal. That's just a normal flesh reaction. God has given you a spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. So it's usually, you know, God, I am, I am scared, I am fearful, but I sense this is what you want me to do. And when you step out, he's there. So we see that discipleship is not based on the vision. Discipleship is based on, on the cross of Christ, of following him. What does discipleship mean? It means denying yourself and taking up his cross. Basically, when people pick up the cross, it means I'm going to my own funeral. I'm going to die. And he's saying, when you take up the cross of Christ, you're denying your life. You're calculating in your mind, is this going to be worth it? Is it worth living my life for Jesus Christ? Is this going to be worth it? I mean, when we step back and listen to ourselves, that's, it's an, almost insane, right? Is my life going to be, is this going to be worth it to follow him? Oh, no, it's not going to be. That doesn't make sense. He created you. He keeps you alive. He's got the best plan, not your plan. And so why would I doubt him? Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. There's no gospel until the resurrection, and there's no salvation without the cross. So basically, you can't selfishly stay in that mountain place of what God showed you. And us as people will do that. Oh, I love what happened. I love what I saw. I, I just want that over and over again. I just want to stay there. That's not how it works. He shows you something so that you can work that out and, and bring it and probably bring it to people because that's how God works. It's exciting because you don't have to figure out the plan. He has the plan. You just, you just take the steps. Take the next step. You know, what's, what's, you know, it's going to take faith and discipleship for that youth ministry to get where God wants it to get. It's going to take sacrifice. But he will, when you have faith, he will provide, and he will provide that $15,000 because his heart is for people to be saved and those kids to grow and be disciples. Amen? Amen. That's his will. We don't even have to question that. Just as Max said, that's his will to be baptized. You don't have to... It's, it's, you don't have to pray about it. It's just you get baptized. Only Christ can empower us to take us to the mountaintop into the valley. He empowers us to go from the mountaintop into the valley. It's not our strength. It's his strength. There's needs in the valley. There's people that need it. We come here into church. Why do we go to come to church, see each other? More than that, to be empowered by him through worshiping and, and his word so that we can go into the valley when you leave here. And you can 
reach people and you can minister to people, encourage people, love people. Otherwise, it's just a self-centered Christianity. One person says, if you want to share the glory of Christ on the mountain, we must be willing to follow him into the sufferings of the valley below. Let me say that again. If you want to share the glory of Christ, oh yeah, I want the mountaintop experience, then we must be willing to follow him in the sufferings of the, the valley below. There will be sufferings. There will be rejection. There will be people, you know, I think it was Wednesday night, I read a verse uh, when Jesus was talking to the disciples and those around them, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Father will be against son, mother against daughter, daughter against mother-in-law. Sometimes we just want to keep everything peaceful. And I'm not saying we go out of our way to make havoc. But when you live for Christ, you, there's going to be division. There's going to be a sword between you and people. There's going to be situations where you're following Christ now. Your friends don't want to have anything to do with you. Your relatives, you're alienated. Can you handle that? Can you, can you, you know, what happens is we want to be liked by people and we want to, you know, we want all that stuff. And, and so we compromise ourselves. So the stronger you get in him, the less you're going to need the approval of people. Amen? Because his love supersedes all of that. So I pray this morning that God just help me to use those times with you, those times on the mountaintop, my quiet time, to hear what it is that you want to say to me and to bring that down, to work it out in the lives of myself and other people around me. Jesus, just thank you that all we have to do is hear you. This is my son. Hear him. Lord, help us to hear you. And then obey what we hear. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Hear him. He's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. He wants to save you. He wants to forgive you of your sins. He wants to change your life. You can't save yourself. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Maybe this morning if you're here or you're on watching on the internet, you've never asked him into your life, he'll give you eternal life. He'll save you. He'll change your life. Say, Lord Jesus, come in and save me. I'm a sinner. If that's you this morning, nobody's looking, lift up your hand. I just want to in general pray for you. I want to accept Christ this morning. Just lift your hand up if that's you. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of him. Lord, thank you for that hand. Lord, I just pray that you bless that young person, God. Show them how real you really are. Is there anyone else? Say, I want Jesus today. Just lift your hand up and put it down. 
Lord God, thank you for that hand. Lord, just bless our brother. Encourage him. Just show him yourself, how, show him how real you are, that you love him, that you care about him. Thank you, Lord, that he's just passed from darkness into light. Is there anyone else who wants Jesus this morning? Just lift your hand up and just put it down. Anyone else? God, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for that we have the Bible. We have the Word of God here in America. Help us to know you more. Thank you that we'll continually grow in grace to understand you, that no one has arrived. Thank you for this incredible love that you have for us. Lord, just thank you for this incredible plan that you have for each one of our lives. Help us to know where to walk. You, we make our plans, but you order our steps. Just order our steps, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen.